0: began early you know I start to look at that a little bit so I'm gonna go back and look at years like uh, when you were what was it 2012 I think Chris said and I think there was another one 2019 I want to go back and see if that spring rally might have started a little early on those as well as maybe a historical indicator going forward for it
1: yeah and and you know and then you know one thing I later on will cover um, you know I'll go into more detail right since where we you know you mentioned it um, you still seeing my daily chart, right, Eric? Uh, yes, I can. Okay. Okay. So, um, if you look at again your market calendar, okay. Generally speaking, Chris referred to the earlier, um, you know, there's tend to be a run in market, um, you know, in July. Okay, that's your back of school, um, I guess, shopping season, and historically, you know, July is is bullish. Okay, but it depends on on what the June, okay, um, how the market behaved. Okay. And um, what I mean by that is when you get a either a, a pullback or sell-off, okay, or minimally some sort of um digestion, meaning that you know the indicator resetting for you and then you know price kind of just is digest and going sideways a bit, um, that tends to bold a lot better for July, okay, to run up more. But when you see a June like this, okay, when it just kind of keep on giving going up, up and up and up kind of thing um and not really giving you any sort of um significant pullback um your july rally tends to be pretty muted meaning that you know it 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 doesn't give you a a huge lift more than not you just just kind of grind sideways and just chop you know chop around in a really tight range kind of thing and later on when we go through july market behavior i'll kind of point that out i think um you know if i remember correctly um 2019 right this is another one homework i gave you guys for those who are on the coaching call yesterday go go observe July rally let's right? see what happens okay when, when June didn't really give you a um, um, any sort of significant pullback with digestion okay so later on I'll point out in July rally market behavior cool any other questions I have a question yeah, Ines.
0: yeah Ines. Um, I noticed the oil
2: um, all three sectors they don't usually follow that pattern um sometimes even opposite Tell when you say about, that
1: pattern what do you mean specifically pattern uh, market. Uh,
2: may and june so june being a red candle and and doji and i don't see that i went
0: back about 20 years they're, they're not very consistent sometimes even running opposite to it
1: yeah so yeah that's that's fine uh remember in this um your oil sector sometimes can run run con- counter the market meaning that it can run in the opposite direction you know like uh your precious metal same thing okay you, if you guys go back, right about- we, we talked about market tend to give you a um, deeper um, sell-off deeper in the summer in the august september october time frame and then that's typically when you see the um precious metal you know can give you a uh, run to the upside um, and then and then I guess if you want to know reason, a lot of institutional money managers tend to shift their dollar, okay, into um, you know, what's traditionally known more as a um, defensive sector. You 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 know, gold and silver, partial metals. So yeah, correct. In this your opposition is right, right? Certain sectors at times can run counter to the market, and that's fine.
2: Right. So my point is is I guess that what I'm trying to say is like um using by um the market the market as, a, as the backbone but then we mm-hmm. still have to look at individual sectors and how they behave Sure. okay
1: sure sure absolutely i mean ideally you, you want the market and sector to run in the same direction right that's the right. most ideal case but you know right. there are situations where you can have the entire sector run against the market and that's okay sometimes the trade you know in the direction of the mar- uh, the sector okay Okay, thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Any other questions?
2: All right, back to you, Chris. Back to me in the studio. All right, let's see what you're seeing. You should be seeing my screen. Yep, cool. <clears throat>
0: Hey, Chris, um, I didn't get a chance to get my question in. Uh, when did you say that institutional managers tend to move to defensive sectors during and leading up to the summer? I I missed Uh,
1: that. You know, if you observe, um, what I was saying is, if you look at your uh, monthly historical guide, you tend to see a uh, more of a down, okay, in in later, uh, deeper in summer, meaning August, September, you know, half, first part of October kind of thing, okay. Meaning that larger sell off we talked about, and and oftentimes if you go back in history, you you will see, you know, your um, precious metal sector, uh, generally, you know, can be bullish during that time frame, and and what I'm saying is, you know, if you think about what's going on, you know, um, it, it doesn't matter why that is, but. <laughs> It, it makes sense that you know a lot of institutional money managers uh, they they will shift some of the dollars right from the portfolio out of the market, okay, and then into more of a, um, of a defensive sector like your um, precious metals. That's kind of what I was saying.
0: All right, thank you for repeating that. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, you're welcome, Troy.
2: Cool. All right, let me keep moving. Um, <clears throat> when you're looking at <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm trying to clear my throat here and trying to hit the mute button at the same time. <clears throat> when you're going through doing your nightly analysis, you should be looking at doing for lack of a better word life or death traits. One of those that are the the but ugly obvious, I call them the prom queens, the the ones that jump off the page, whatever vision, whatever visual you want to come up with, that is fine. But bottom line is quit playing games. Quit taking crap stuff. Quit, quit taking, well, I have a 50-50 chance. Quit taking the trades and go, well, I haven't had a trade in a while, let me just do this one, even though it doesn't meet my criteria. A little voice in your head says, you know, you've been studying for hours and days and you haven't seen anything, and let's just take this one, just see what happens. It, this is not that's not what trading is. It's about doing the right thing all the time. And then you comp- you compound that over time and actually doing fewer trades. You're only trading the most attractive setups. <clears throat> and there are trades that you're not going to do because they're not that life or death setup, the, the but ugly obvious things. You wanna watch out for the tendency to see trades or moves that you're fairly sure will move as you expect, and then it moves as you expect. But the setup wasn't to your standards. Remember, just because it moves in your direction, that doesn't mean you should be in the trade. Wait for your setup. I could bring a 12-year-old on the call. In fact, we could put him on CNBC. And he could talk about how great he's done since yeah mid mid-March, early April in the market. He could be kicking butt. But go look at the charts. We've been on a rise. He's 12 years old. So, yeah, but he's had a great three-month run. I don't care. This is about doing the proper thing over and over and over. It's not about having a short-term win streak. It's not it at all it's a long-term endeavor right don't be swayed by a trade that was a set of go well it didn't quite look good enough and then it works and now you kick yourself you don't do that Some of we're going to run just because the market's moving don't lower your standards right the objective is to do the right thing and you do it over and over and over again <clears throat> In your trading career, you're gonna witness markets that just seem to go up and up and up without any meaningful pullbacks. When you see one of those, we're not in one now, I'm not not inferring that. When you see one of those, be cautious after it's been running for a long time because typically the eventual pullback in that situation, in that situation, it's not gonna be mild, it's not gonna be mellow. It's gonna be more likely brutal and painful for those that are uninformed. Because you got to remember, a healthy market goes up and down. If you go back and study this, back in 97, the market didn't decline much. In the summer, there were some heavy days of down, but not enough, and then it went right back up again. And that caused a heavy correction in 97. It wasn't a crash, but it was a good-sized correction. And at that time, it felt like a huge number because the market didn't correct as it should have along the way. In 87, market didn't decline much either. We experienced a crash. In fact, I can remember where I was that day. I can remember whose office I was sitting in and what he was saying to me. Was that work that day? Before I knew anything about the market. A healthy correction, about 10%. Now, depending on what the market's doing before that correction, there could be times when a correction of that size could lead to uneasiness. You don't want to see a big correction all at once, because that can make people panic. Ideally, a correction will go down, then it rises back up, then it goes lower several times over the next X number of weeks. Now, when we talk about volatile stocks, remember, we're about, what, 45 days, 50 days, something like that, almost 60 days into the summer season the market always provides opportunities to develop your skills in dealing with volatility even during the summer when it has smaller trading ranges right ibm might move two to four bucks in a day but that isn't much of a move in a volatile market the market always has a stock or two that will allow you to develop your skills with volatile stocks because when you develop your skill or your ability to handle volatile stocks or handle volatility then you'll be positioned without any fear. You'll be positioned to capture opportunities when the market does turn volatile. Well, and then people say, well, how do you tell if a stock's volatile enough? If you're not sure that it's gut wrenching, then it's not. Cause you have to learn how to handle stocks that move up and down quickly. And it should give you knots in your stomach. Now it shouldn't be all of your trading, but you should be doing it enough that you're not afraid of it anymore. That's what you're trying to get to. And you have to be patient. Once you can afford to, you got to buy plenty of time. Always buy five months or more of time. You can buy more time. Don't buy less. When you're buying options, you're buying time to allow you to be patient. Now, typically, when you're on the bigger charts, you should be initially patient, but do not become permanently patient because that's known as hopium. Right? You don't have to necessarily get out if it doesn't move the next day, but you learn to develop the patience. If it's not moving within yeah, ballpark three candles, reassess. And if the trade isn't moving at that time or after about five days, yeah, maybe you look to get out. Cause if you you've studied this enough, you know, when you see the proper three X and it's moving as expected, they pop. If you see a good looking three X and you jump in, it goes sideways. You know, depending what the overall market conditions are, it's okay to, be, to close it. You can always go find the next victim. You don't need to be impatient the minute you enter the trade. Give it a few candles before you become impatient. But keep in mind, if you have stock, there is no pressure of time decay. But that doesn't mean you get to sit and watch it decline. You still do the same thing, but that pressure of time decay is not there when you're buying stock. If the market's down today, but the indicators are still good, just be patient. You know, how many trades have you seen where every candle goes in your direction? The trades don't move like that because every candle will not move in your direction. They'll move, then they'll stall or pull back and then move some more. And the secret is you watch the indicators. Jesse Livermore, who was the, you call him the George Soros or the Warren Buffett of his day, back 120 years ago. 100 years ago had a great quote the mo- the big money is not in the buying and selling it's in the waiting and munger's got a great quote it great a great quote it takes character to sit there with all that cash and do nothing i didn't get to where i am by going after mediocre opportunities <clears throat> please keep that in mind because some of you will be sitting on a pile of cash, whatever pile means to you, whether that's a four-figure amount, whether it's a five-figure amount, whether it's a six-figure amount, it could be a seven-figure amount, it might even be an eight-figure amount. Whatever that pile of cash is, that's fine. The money is wa- made in waiting, waiting for the setup and then allowing the trade to do what it's supposed to do. Then we talk about failures and gaps so if you've seen even studying the charts you know stocks will often gap in one direction and then it continues along in that direction and then after some period of time it may reverse direction to go back down and try and fill the gap after filling the gap if the if the stock doesn't support or resist at that point prior to the gap it's known as a gap failure when there's a gap failure, the next potential support or resistance area is what we're going to talk about next. <clears throat> so, in a gap up scenario, I'll give you an example here stocks at 50, it gaps up to 54. And so, with that, then you would draw a pink line at the pre gap number, the post gap, and the midpoint, right? So, 50, 54, and 52 in this example. And these are possible support lines. You draw them as pink lines. Now let's say the stock continues and it rises up to 55 and then it comes down and it fills the gap. And so it drops down to 54, then it clears 52 going down and now it clears 50 to the downside. So stock price is now under 50. That's a gap failure. It's not a failed gap until it closes below 50. But now here's where it gets kind of fun. You do your predicting prediction stuff. You may not want to trade this, but you can predict where it's going to go. The question is, how far might it continue to go? The next potential, support or resistance area, to calculate it, you take the difference between the high after the gap, so it's 55, and the price before the gap is 50, and you subtract that from the price before the gap. So... 55 minus 50 is five. Take that from the pre-gap price of 50. It'll probably drop down to 45. You go back and look at it. It's like, oh, man, that's pretty interesting. It's not 100%. I'm not going to do a trade there because most of the time you don't get a setup with the indicators. But it's kind of cool to be able to do a little prediction thing. You know, make a lunch bet or a beer bet with one of your coworkers, one of your Zoom call mates. Hey, next time I see you in the office because now we have to go in two days a week keep an eye on ABC stock. It's going to go to this point. And if it does, you buy me lunch. What you can do though, is you can set an alert on the charts to warn you of a gap failure. Don't set a ton of them because you don't want a whole bunch of them going off at the same time if you get a big down day. This is about stock selection. You want to know, is the stock volatile enough to hit the bottom and maybe give you a bounce for a trade? So only set a few alerts. But it's a neat little thing that shows up every now and then. <clears throat> Keep in mind when we're looking at candles, when you get near the end of a move, the candle body typically will get smaller. It may not get down to a doji level, but generally it'll get smaller. And if you're in a trade and the candles are getting smaller, it might be near done. The way you want to think about it, it's as if it's... Uh, You know, as as the candle bodies are getting smaller, it's almost like the move is running out of steam or running out of gas. But this is an example of and, 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 and. Don't get wrapped up in the candle formations. I told you in class two, the candles are probably the least important thing on the chart. You still pay attention to the indicators and beware of the time of year. All you're doing is you're applying everything that you're being taught. So the objective of the class is to become a success in the market. And the question becomes, how do you define success? Now, if you answer me with a dollar amount, that's wrong. Can't, say I want to have a million dollars, in net worth, or I want to have a million dollars in my income account or in my LTH or whatever it is. If you have a number on it, that's wrong. Success is following the process can ask yourself what would make today a successful trading day and the answer cannot include money because think about it you can make a you make money by flipping a coin you know let's take abc stock flip a coin heads it's tail or heads it's uh, we're going to trade it going up tails we trade it going down you could get lucky and make money you might get very lucky and make a lot of money that doesn't make it a successful trading day The way you're going to develop wealth in your long-term holdings is by trading well. And that starts with activity in your trading account. And then you do it in the income account. And then you shift those bricks, those piles of money over to your LTH. But now, don't confuse trading well, meaning that you, to infer that you have no losses. You are going to have losses. And you're going to have some percent of your trades be losses. I don't know what your batting batting average should be, but I don't know what it is. And it doesn't matter whether I know it or not. You need to know what that is. This is an endeavor of probabilities. So if you're running at a 70% batting average, then you know that over 10 to 20 trades, you're going to have either three or six losers. If you're meeting your statistical norms. Now you're going to have a stretch where you might have 10 in a row. And then on the next 10 trades, you might only get four, and you have six losers. Over 20, you're batting 20 or 70 percent. But over that last 10, you're batting 40. Keep your losses small. As long as the losses are small, you're gonna be fine. Having losses is part of trading well. Just keep them small. The question always becomes Are you fat rat? Are you always following the rules all the time? When you have a small loss and it could not have been any smaller, then you're controlling the loss. If a trade isn't working that you're in, when you leave is your choice. If you stay in, hoping it's going to turn around, that also is your choice now keep in mind if it's your choice that means that the result of the trade is your responsibility so you have to expect losses what you do is you try to recognize if if you could have exited with a smaller loss following all the rules if you get a gap that goes against you there's nothing you can do assuming it wasn't earnings and you forgot to close the trade in advance If you think back to class one and class two, right? I've got the, the, uh, the house, the roof of success, right? The money management system, you got four walls in your stock market house, right? Trading account is one part of your market activity. It's one wall of the structure. The income account, it's one piece of your market activity. It's another wall of the structure. Long-term holdings, yet another wall of the structure. And also part of your market activity the objective is to develop yourself to become the best that you can be in each wall in that stock market house and i expect you're over time you're going to improve in each of those accounts early on when you're starting out it isn't possible to be great in all three of the accounts Some people do the trading account well. Other people are better at the income account. Some people are more comfortable with long-term holdings. That's fine. Since the income account uses bigger charts, it feels like those trades move slower because it takes an entire day for each candle to paint. The trading account may feel faster, especially if you're using the smaller timeframes, the intraday moves. And the reason for that is because you're making, you're, i say you're trading, but really you're making more frequent decisions than the income account. If you're on a 55, right, you get seven candles. You get seven decision points every day. Yes or no? Stay in, get out. Or get in, get whatever, whatever where you happen to be relative to that. But on a daily chart, near the end of the day, take a look. So what you want to do is you continue to do what you're best at, but you cannot ignore developing the other accounts because it's crucial to develop your abilities in all those walls of the house. Otherwise, you won't be able to build a financial house. And so and by the way, you're being either foolish or incredibly arrogant to expect to be good at this when you're starting out. You expect to improve over time. and you trade only the prom queens, the ones that are but ugly obvious. Don't waste your time on other stuff. I gave you the assignment, I believe I told everybody, to listen to on the POWs website on the testimonial page. I posted one about a month and a half ago by a guy by the name of Tony. He's in class now. And in that discussion, he talked about experiencing the same thing in not wasting his time, what he called the artsy type trades. Just trade the foundational setups the prom queens hit the band spread the band come off the band go in the direction of the bigger charts and you learn to be selective you learn to be discerning with your trades don't become addicted to trading on the smaller time frames with big charts you don't have to sit there and babysit them. some of you can see the market during the day some of you can't that's fine but you do the best trade that's available to you based on your schedule, not necessarily the best trade in the stock market. So one week it might be a 55 trade. Another week, it might be a daily, but you improve by doing the same thing over and over and over. Don't chase the artsy trades because you're thinking, well, I can't find anything else. Let me do those. I'll learn like, no, If your results are great on the foundational trades why do you need to go chase shit especially if you can't make it work you make it work that's great if you can't make it work don't worry about it there's so much money to be made off just trading the foundational stuff because think about it remember what i said way back when your confidence is the most important thing and you build that up by trading well and you trade well doing one brick at a time, brick by brick by brick. And you'll eventually evolve to where you're not, you're doing this not for the money, but because you want to trade well. You want to get to the point that you're pissed off, not that you had a losing trade, but because you executed it incorrectly. You'd be thrilled you have a losing trade if you did it correctly, no problem, that doesn't bother you. It's the ones that you shouldn't be in, or that you shouldn't still be in, and you're not trading well. Those are the ones that should piss you off, right? Because now you realize that you're breaking the process. And Most of the time, it's something psychological, once you understand the charts. But if you can get to that point, you'll find that it becomes so much easier to take the emotions out of your trading, just because you're focused on trading well.
0: Chris, it's Ryan. Can I ask a question? Hey, Ryan, go ahead. I'm um, <clears throat> um, keeping your losses small, I've been thinking about this a bit. You know, we always say go for at least a two to one, you know, uh, opportunity to risk re- or ratio. Yep. And we know that even on, like, on the 55s, I'll say that's my smallest chart I'm trading. You know, we want to aim for at least a 3% upside, potentially five, so when you think about keeping losses small, do you think about, well, if it's 5%, you know, it can be two and a half. But if it's a 3% upside, it can be one and a half. Or do you also have in your mind, hey, I don't I don't want to take more than X percent loss
2: as a rule? So I don't look at a percentage, Ryan. I just look at the chart. And I look at, say, if it's going to go against me, where's the spot where I can say, yep, that's going against me? And usually and when you're starting out, it's red cross green going against you. And when that okay. happens, that's that's gonna show up before MACD crosses. Um, Stoke may or may not cross against you at that point. So I can't use Stoke as a bail point way it crossing. So I'm gonna use either the two, three crossing against me or I may, depending where you're getting in on the chart, you may use a moving average. Sure, okay. Yeah, but don't pick some random, well, you know what? I'll give it a 5% to the downside and see if I can get to 10% on the upside. Right now, clearly not that. Yeah. I've just been trying to figure that out. Yeah. It's it really want to look at it and say, okay, I'm getting in here, wherever here is. Mm-hmm. And you say, all right, where could this go to? Where's a realistic bail point at a profit, right? You know, first point of resistance, whatever that yep. is, say it's bullish. So the first thing above you get some kind of overhead noise or a moving average say, Okay, now you got that number. Now, if it goes against you, where's a realistic bail point? Typically, it's red cross green. Again, depending on how the chart looks, it may be a moving average, situationally dependent. And just do a quick math, you can either do math me, you, you can gauge the size. You know, just looking at the chart, if there's a lot of white space above you and a little small one below you, you got more than two to one.
0: Yeah. Does that help? Okay. Yeah, it does. That okay. does. I just don't like, you know, (laughs) if that low point I've I've had times where maybe I've set the moving average below me might be too little, you know, And, and if you don't give it enough room, then it takes off after it and you've already exited.
2: But on the other hand, that in a in a good, this is sound perverted or perverse way, the that actually isn't a bad thing because your loss was small. Correct. I want you to learn the lessons on small losses. I don't want you to learn the painful lessons on big ones. Okay. Of course.
0: All right. That's helpful. Thanks.
2: You're welcome. Okay, yeah, Brian. I
1: have a quick comment, Chris. That also depends on the volatility of stock. Yeah. Because if a stock's volatile, in order for you to get more, you need to give up more. So you, you pick the, basically the uh, spots on chart. That makes sense to give you two to one. Does that make sense? yes something like let's say for example a coin when it moves it really moves right so for you to get you know (laughs) let's say 10 percent, you got to give up five percent potentially the downside
0: yeah
1: right versus a a stock that's not volatile same two to one you know you may give up one percent on the downside but you you may only get two percent upside so it depends on the volatility stock and it doesn't really matter right that's what chris's point is you got to pick the spots on the chart that make sense to give you that, you know, make sure that, you know, uh, you have that two to one, but then that, whatever that, the absolute value is on the profit and loss, it really depends on volatility of the stock.
0: Yeah. It just, if goes, you gotta really be sure on that percent upside that you're, you know, like on the 10%, because if it goes against you, like you said, with five, that's a pretty painful impact on
1: your P and L for the Correct. month. Correct, but you know, again, right? To to get more, you got to be willing to give up more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay.
2: Thanks. You're welcome. And Ryan, we're going to talk more about the volatility later on today. To get, you know, there's there comes a point where you you have to develop the comfort level with extreme gut wrenching volatility. You don't necessarily always trade like that, but you have to be able to handle those when they show up. We'll talk about that more later on today. Okay, thanks. Cool. Other questions? Thank you, Wynn. Other questions? <clears throat> All right, let's keep moving. So, next page is titled Making Bricks and Building Well. And there's my ding. Let's see. Give me one second while I read this. Hey, Yasha, can you come off mute? Not sure if your mic is working or if you're in a spot where you can talk. Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yep, yep, you're good. You're good. You, want to, share, you yeah. want to share what you texted me?
0: Sure. Yeah, I just wrote, um, you know, I've had a few losses recently, and this is maybe in the last several months in total. But uh, I guess, you know, it's a funny feeling because I was excited about the losses. Like, I actually felt really good. Uh, and that's because I followed the rules and it was a small loss, right? Whereas in the early days I'd have large losses and I didn't follow the rules. So of course I would be, be frustrated with myself, but um, it's kind of a funny and odd feeling because it's it's a little hard to explain to people. You're like, yeah, I just had a trade and there was a loss and I, I feel great. <laughs> you know, it's like a counterintuitive little.
2: Yeah, people don't get it, but someone who trades, they totally understand. So, on, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's the example of your friends will change. Yeah, that's right. Either how they think or their name. And if you can't change people, then change people. <laughs> so that's cool. Thank you. <clears throat> um, let's see. So making bricks, building wealth. So don't confuse trades and wealth. The objective is to trade well. <clears throat> excuse me, trading well one time creates a brick. Consistently trading well is what will allow you to build wealth. It only takes candles to make a brick. And that candle may be a day, maybe an hour. But it takes a lot, remember, it's only a candle to make a brick. But it takes lots of bricks to make wealth, right? Because trades are made, wealth is built. And wealth is built over years and years and decades. And only takes hours to days to make a brick. And over time, what you're doing is you're building a skyscraper with the pile of bricks that were created from your trading account from your income, the excess in your income account. Statistically, people that become wealthy too fast, they don't know how to handle it. And as a result, they typically end up later on not being wealthy. The example, you know, lottery winners, professional ath- athletes, you got countless examples, You even have people that uh, gain, that get large inheritances that were not prepared for it and don't know how to manage, manage that, get it at a young age. That can be a problem. As you mature and become more capable of handling wealth, you'll do better with options the wealthy mindset is to buy more time but you have to understand if you buy more time the option costs more money so don't be cheap right we're not trying to buy a 25 cent option I hope it's going to run to 30. it was at a uh, at a, a function last night with a group of friends people you know uh, parents of uh my kids classmates and a bunch of them had gone out to see my son out in Hawaii in the last couple of weeks. So parents were all getting together and the kids were back in town. Um, was chatting with a group of the dads later on into the evening. That's probably why I have a little bit of a of a raw, raspy voice today. It was up too late. But one of the dads was talking about wanting to buy shares in, I think it was Bed Bath Beyond, for 20 cents. Yeah, it's going to come back. And I couldn't tell if he was joking. I go, and he had it and was now at 23 cents. He said, why don't you sell it? And he looked at me like I was shocked. I said, dude, you made 15%. He said, I don't know if you're trading, you know, $100 worth. And I don't know, do you put do you put 100 grand or a million? I'm certain you don't have a million in cash. But, you know, he put 10 grand, 100 grand. So maybe put a million. And he kind of looked at me like I'm nuts. Of course, I'm looking at him that he's nuts trading a 20 cent stock. Why don't you just sell it? Oh, no, I couldn't do that. <laughs> you just push a button. It's not that hard. It's just as easy as buying it. But you recognize the it's, it's really easy to buy. It's really hard to sell. That's emotions. So <clears throat> back to the wealthy mindset, buying more time. The way you can practice being wealthy and buying more time, but buying it at a discount, Imagine if you buy 10 contracts. And so you could buy all 10 contracts with five months of time. Or what you could do is maybe put, I don't know, 10% of the trade, so maybe one contract with a month or month and a half of time. Buy 40% of the contracts, so four more of them with about three months of time. And by the remainder, five contracts, basically half the trade size, with with five months of time and so if you use that method there's a specific time to exit so what you do is you would close that first contract on the very first move because you can't be in it for very long because you've got such limited time to hold you've only got four weeks of time on the option then you could close the next four contracts maybe a week week and a half out maybe two weeks in time if the trade lasts that long <clears throat> And then you look to close the, the remaining half of the trade, the remaining five, when trading well indicates to do so. And don't do this during the summer, right? You only do this when you expect a longer move. It works well during a fall, winter bullish run and maybe a bearish run from the spring high down into the summer lows. But with either strategy, the exit the same. It's a matter of where you whether you buy your full load of options with, five months of time, or if you stagger the expiration dates. Now, buying five months of time is going to cost you more. And with time and experience, you'll decide that buying five months of time will be the best. Because trading well is buying the time to allow you a little patience. When we're in POW sessions, I ask students about their percentage gain, as well as their win streak and their batting average. And I do this to let the beginners hear what's possible, because everybody understands and is attracted to percentages. And it's interesting, though, I've I've learned this over the years. You would think that I would ask how much money someone made. And I've learned not to do that. And the reason why is this. If somebody has a small if their net worth is small, it's large to them, but relatively small, then. If they hear a larger number than they can get their mind around, they think this isn't for them because they're freaked out by the number. They don't freak out on a percentage. Say, oh, you make twenty percent on an option, or you make forty percent, or hundred, you know, whatever the number is. But when you put it on a raw dollar amount, they can freak out. But now go to the other side. You come, you bring somebody sitting at this at the same table in the same room, literally sitting three feet away from them. That person might have a more substantial pile of cash available. And they hear percentages and they're like, okay, good, I get it. But if I share numbers with them and say, hey, you can make $100 on this trade, they'll go, or they make $1,000 on the trade. The one person gets excited about hearing that. The person with a big stack of cash, you think $1,000, you know, that's how much I've spent so far at Costco this month. It, that doesn't that doesn't phase them it, not that they poo-poo a thousand dollars but they're thinking something bigger and the challenge is if i use bigger numbers to them then they want to start off large and they get walloped because one they don't know what they're doing and two they don't realize how emotional the money will be they're going to lose it and so they feel it's an insult to them to start with twenty five hundred dollars so i try not to talk the hard numbers in the Pows class i'll go with percentages and what's interesting is once you get the hang of this just so you understand you know you can do the percent the other nice thing about doing percentages when you look at trades and results is it's an easy way to 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 compare yourself to the market averages right and even to mutual funds but you have to understand once you get the hang of this You have already won. You don't need to compare yourself to mutual funds. Think about this. If you get a 3% gain in a month, let's say you're trading stock. Maybe you do two trades. Each of them are, I don't know, 1.5%, which is nothing. That's $0.40, $0.50 on a $30 stock. It's nothing. Do that twice in a month. There's your 3%. Right? Works out to a dollar on a thirty-dollar stock. If you compound that in the income account, and granted you're going to have losses in there. When they have losses, you're going to have to do a little bit more on the on the gain side. But three percent compounded every month is forty-two percent in a year. Mutual funds don't do forty-two percent in a year unless the whole market's moving that much. You win, right? You got to beat. But focusing on the percentage gains won't make you a success. If you focus on trading well, that will make you a success. All you do is focus on the task at hand, proper entry, intelligent exit, according to plan, trading well, and being successful in the market. That's all that matters. Okay. With that said, let's talk about what the whole class is about, which is the LTH. So today's talk on long-term holdings, what time we got, One thirty. You know, let's do this. We're at a break point. I don't need to start another section. Let's do a break for a little bit. Um you get a chance to eat anything. Let's start up again. Uh, let's see, 20 minutes. Yeah, that'll be good. Let's start up again at 1.45. So you got 20 minutes. Griffin, if you want, you should be able to run out and at least catch one wave or at least swim out to the end of the pier. And don't think about a shark. And we'll start back up again at 145.